Hello, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who celebrates recovery from chemical addiction, I'm at, and I'm in recovery for codependence and the, uh, the effects of being an adult child of dysfunctional families. And my name is Melissa. Hi. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord. Um, I, I still don't understand, God, how, how I ended up here, standing here before um, my forever family, sharing what you've done in my life. I still can't quite grasp your love in that way, Lord, that you would just pluck me out of that sin and just place me on a road to recovery, Lord. Um, that's something that only you can do. Lord, I just pray, God, that the newcomer here tonight would just hear, hear the victories and the miracles that you provide, God, when we surrender our lives over to you. Lord, and I just pray for the still-suffering addicts, Lord, that are still out there. God, I pray for their families, and I pray for our ministry that somehow, some way, Lord, that we would just be able to impact their lives. And I just give this time to you in your name. Amen. Amen. I was born Tuesday, September 20th, 1983 in Modesto, California. My parents were married when I was born, but soon divorced when I was two. This meant that I grew up with no memories of what it's like to be a family with my mother and my father. My childhood was full of chaos and fear due to alcoholism and addiction. I learned at an early age to stuff my feelings. I was raised an only child in my mother's home, and although my dad had other children, I never bonded with them, and to this day we do not speak. I was a very lonely child and never had any close friends. We moved around a lot, and I never completed a school year in one school. This created a lack of self-confidence as I never stayed in one place long enough to truly make a friend. I struggled with schoolwork and keeping up with my grades, often missing homework assignments and failing to meet the standards for the grade level I was in. I was threatened with being held back and reminded constantly that I was behind. This caused me to feel deep shame and self-hatred. I would call myself stupid and ugly and unworthy. Being the new kid at school only confirmed my inner dialogue. My bright orange hair, pale skin, freckles, and nearly invisible eyelashes and eyebrows seemed to bring me nothing but negative attention. I could never seem to blend into my new surroundings, and I just wanted to hide. Back at home in my early years, my mom struggled to raise me on her own. Throughout the years, my mom would date and live with men. They were usually one type, addict and alcoholic. One thing that was very clear is that I was not their child. One boyfriend was very scary to me as a child. When he was under the influence, he would go off. Nothing was off limits. This relationship was on, was on and off for years. We would stay and endure it for a time, leave, and then return a short time later. And this cycle continued for years. By the time I entered junior high, we were away from the sky for good. We had moved to a new area of town, and I was starting yet another new school. I wanted so badly for this year to be different than the times before. I longed for friendships, and I desired to fit in. By this time, I was old enough to wear makeup, so I began to experiment. I had no idea what I was doing, and I chose makeup that was much too dark for my skin tones. Instead of blending in, I stood out, and this became a new source of bullying. The peers that I had faced in junior high were much crueler than the ones I had faced in elementary. I cannot explain the agony that I felt this time. I wondered what was wrong with me, and my inner shame grew. At home, things had gotten worse. My mom had lost her job, and having no place else to go, we went to stay with my newly single dad. My mom and I shared a bedroom for a time, but soon I was staying there alone. Having had my parents together in the same home for a short time filled me with some deep longing I had for family. It was strange, yet it offered me comfort. I stayed with my dad for the remainder of the summer, 
And at this point in his life, he was deep in his addiction. He was newly single bachelor with a great paying job and lots of friends. He had a custom made bar for his new place and night after night he would have a house full of people sitting at the bar drinking and carrying on. I remember feeling so cool sitting there with a bunch of adults. I was often offered to partake but I always declined. I was only 13. I knew it would offer me nothing but trouble. As school began I had moved back with my mom and I was starting another new school, another new school year and another new school. By this time my mom had found a boyfriend who was not abusive or an alcoholic. There were no huge fights or fits of rage, and this was a very new experience for me. This was the year that I began to realize that I was struggling with depression and anxiety. I slept a lot, had no desire to make friends or have a social life. I was content isolating in my room and sleeping as much as I could. I had no way to express how I was really feeling. I just knew that it hurt. When I was 15, my life was about to take a major turn for the worse. I had finally found friends that would accept me. Looking back now, I can see how inevitable it was. I began to hang around with the druggies and the outcasts. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Amen. Soon I was experimenting with drugs and alcohol, first marijuana, then it quickly escalated to a daily use of meth. I was running hard and numbing all the pain I had held in for so many years. Fast forward to a year later, and I was again living with my dad. He was the only adult I knew that didn't mind my drinking and drug use. He had no rules, so my life became a free-for-all. That year, I had become the popular kid for all the wrong reasons. My dad would allow massive parties at his house with his friends and mine. I was 16. It was the year that I met the man that I would marry and start a family with. I fell head over heels in love, and overnight, he became my everything. We were young, we were in love, and we were running wild. By, that time we'd by the time we graduated from high school, our hard partying ways had caught up to us and we decided that we needed a fresh start. My soon-to-be husband's family was from Missouri. At that time, I had never left the state of California and here we were, moving to the middle of nowhere, Missouri. Cross Timbers, Missouri, a town with a population of 187. Yeah, it was shocking. My soon-to-be mother-in-law and I bonded during this time as she was born and raised there. She and I would talk on the phone for hours, and she often sent us care packages from home. She's a faithful believer in Jesus, and our conversations were often about the Lord. I wasn't raised in a believing home. I had no idea about the healing power of Jesus. She sent me my first Bible, and I began to read the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was, it was there in the middle of nowhere in Missouri that I asked Jesus to be my Savior. Thank you. <clears throat> Sadly, it would be many more years before I truly surrendered my life over to God's loving care. I had sobered up during this time and soon found out I was expecting. In January of 2003, I gave birth to my firstborn daughter, Ashlyn Ray. I was 1,800 miles away from home with no family. I was so scared and I felt so alone. I had a very difficult time in my pregnancy and I was often in and out of the hospital. Those were very dark and depressing years for me. I continued to read my Bible and pray. I did not know it at the time, but after the birth of my daughter, I was suffering from postpartum depression and anxiety, something that I still battle to this day. Daily chores became increasingly difficult with, for me with a newborn. I cried a lot and I had no interest in doing anything. It was a very familiar feeling and it was agony. In 2005, we moved back to Modesto. On April 23rd, we were married. Marriage meant very little to the people in my life as I grew up. Nobody stayed faithful and nobody stayed married. 
I remember feeling so many emotions that day. One thing that I remember very clearly was the honest prayer I prayed in my heart, that I would take my vow seriously and I would not let my marriage fail. The next few years brought a lot of changes into our life. We began to attend church regularly and we expanded our family with two more girls, Avery Estelle, born in 2008, and Olivia Kate, born in 2010. All three of my pregnancies were very hard and stressful on my body. I was in and out of the hospital all nine months with extreme hyperemesis and preterm labor. I never knew if I would deliver my babies full term. It was nine months of extreme sickness, contractions, bed rest, and medications. But the Lord was faithful, and all three of my girls were delivered healthy and at 40 weeks. After, yeah, that was a miracle. That was a miracle. After Olivia was born, my doctor and I decided having any more babies would be too risky, so I opted for a tubal ligation. During the surgery, the doctor had slipped, and I developed a nerve entrapment disorder. This caused severe pain in my left leg, hip, and thigh. I was given medications to treat the pain, but I was beginning to develop postpartum depression and severe anxiety again. So I was given anti-anxiety, antidepressant meds, all coupled with pain medications. It was the perfect storm. I was medicating a spiritual problem, and I was desperate for relief. I began a crazy cycle of doubling up my dose to try and numb out as much as I could, or I would go cold turkey and flush all of my pills in, in order to get some degree of my sanity back. This went on for six long years. I would often plead with God just to, just to end my life and my suffering, so once I was gone, he could heal my family. We had stopped attending church and we were isolated. I was a stay-at-home mom with a full-blown addiction to anything that would make me numb. Yet I never stopped talking to God and I never stopped asking for him to deliver me. In 2016, I had all that I could take. Through a random Facebook post of a friend of a friend, I found Maynard's Recovery Center. I checked myself in for a 28-day treatment the very next day. It was one of the best decisions I have ever made. While in treatment, the Lord blessed me with amazing godly counselors, one of whom belonged to Celebrate Recovery. He encouraged me to attend my local Celebrate Recovery, and on my first Tuesday home, I attended Big Valley Grace Celebrate Recovery. When I walked in, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I expected it to look like the AA meetings I had been attending, but people were dancing and singing, and there was real joy here. People were truly celebrating their recovery. And then Pastor Stubbert walked on stage and began to speak, and again, I was stunned. I couldn't believe he was allowed to say those things in church. <laughs> I had to know more, so I kept coming back. In the coming weeks, the teachings and the testimonies kept me learning about how God and addiction were meant to be dealt with in the same place, church. In secular recovery, I was taught to say my higher power, but in celebrate recovery, I could confidently say Jesus. <laughs> the best part. Over time, I began to hear about sponsorships and step studies. I was ready to unravel all the years of pain and shame. It took me a few weeks to find my open chair group as I had bounced around a little. I am one of the blessed few that the Lord removed the compulsion to use. I knew that I was still a mess and I really needed help. I finally found COA, codependent to an addict. After all, I was raised in active addiction. I found my voice in that room. I began to understand codependency and its negative effects on my life. Soon I joined a step study and began to confront what I had run from. Steps one, two, and three taught me that God is God and I am not. His plans are better than mine and I am not in control. Step four was entirely different. I began to feel anxious, scared, and overwhelmed. 
I was crisis calling anyone who would answer. I felt alone and I felt stuck. I sat day after day at my dining room table asking the Lord to show me where to even start. The pain was so much and the thought of digging it up was unbearable. I was convinced that these teeny tiny little boxes on the four-step inventory page could not hold all of that mess. They did and they still continue to do so. Through working my inventory, I realized the parts I played in my own trauma. I found patterns and defects of character that I never knew existed. One of the promises of recovery is that we will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. As I unloaded all of that baggage, I began to get a clear perspective. I began to become self-aware. I walked in unworthiness, abandonment, and trauma most of my life. The self-awareness brought me freedom, freedom to seek a deeper healing in my relationship with my Creator. Hebrews 4.16 says, I can freely approach the throne of God's grace with confidence. And as I did this, I found God to be true to his attached promise that there I will find mercy and grace in my time of need. Yes, amen. My life began to change as my perspective on myself changed. In steps six and seven, I was eager to surrender my defects and find forgiveness and amends for all of the pain of the past. In 2016, when I decided to go to treatment, I had removed the majority of my family from my life, including my mom. I thought I was creating a healthy boundary to heal, but I was only imprisoning myself to the pain of unforgiveness. Through an honest inventory with the new sponsor, I was able to work steps eight and nine with my mom and ask for her forgiveness. Today we're in communication. She's attended CR with me and my family, and we are seeking a new healthy and healing relationship. I read this like 10 times so I wouldn't cry. (sighs) This relationship is only one of the many that the Lord's been restoring in my life. In 2020, my husband and I had separated for a time due to the dysfunctional patterns of our past. That was one of the most painful times of my life. I was desperate for healing in our home, but I wasn't in control of his choices. So I did all that I knew to do, and that was surrender him over to God with every belief that God loved him more than I ever could. With that surrender, the Lord showed me how to set healthy boundaries and set them out of love. Today, my husband and I both work a program of recovery. I'm thankful that our daughters get to witness us working on ourselves, individually, and together. Thank you, Nick, for being my best friend and choosing God and our family. In 2006, I attempted to go back to school to become a nurse. I walked in so much fear and shame that I continually sabotaged every attempt to finish eventually dropping out. Through a lot of inventories, tears, healing, and prayer, I decided to give it another try. In August of 2020, I re-enrolled in college. Despite all the Lord has done in my life, my years and my, through, despite all that the Lord has done in my life through my years of recovery, I still believe that I was undeserving to find success in my dreams. I found myself struggling to keep emotional sobriety, stress at home, the pressures of keeping up my GPA and meeting application deadlines. I felt like I was going backwards. In August of 2021, I began to take a deeper look into my childhood trauma through ACDF, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. God started to unravel the pain I thought I had healed. The big red book of ACA states, 
There are many forms of codependence, but for our purposes, codependence means that we constantly look outside of ourselves for love, affirmation, and attention from people who cannot provide it. At the same time, we believe that we are not worthy of love or attention. Through this revelation, I understood that I was using my good dream to fulfill a distorted belief that a career, not God, would give me worth. But God wanted to teach to teach me to be aware of my motives, and to be grateful for the sobriety and recovery he's given me. Surrendering this part of my life in the same way that I surrendered my sobriety, my marriage, and my recovery. In surrender to the Lord, he is showing me that I am lovable, I am worthy, and I am seen. Not long ago, I found an old drawing from when I was five years old. It's a self-portrait of me, and the caption reads, I'm going to be a nurse when I grow up. They take care of people, and they make sure they get well so that they can go home. I'll learn by going to school and learning how, and I'll make $100. There's my self-portrait. Innocent and sweet five-year-old me had a dream in her heart, and through this new revelation, I am able to allow God to fill my needs and pursue my dream with the same innocence of my five-year-old self. Today, I'm a work in progress. I meet with the Lord daily through prayer journaling and honest ten-step and regular meetings. I'm eager to work my steps with the expectation that whatever wound the Lord presents, he will faithfully heal. Steps 11 and 12 keep me accountable to God, myself, and my sobriety. I reserve a quiet time to meditate on the word of God and give back by facilitating open share groups, being a greeter, being an encourager on our fellowship team and sponsorship. A few verses I had hidden in my heart when I first began this journey 1 Peter 5.10, and after you have suffered a little while, God in all of his glory will confirm, establish, and strengthen you. And the second is Joel 2.25, and I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. I hold these truths close to my heart because they are true for me today. Through my recovery, I have actively seen the Lord do miracles and wonders in my life. He's been faithful to continue the patterns of restoration. Because of Christ and the 12 steps of recovery, I do not walk in unworthiness, shame, or abandonment. I'm not stupid, ugly, or unworthy. I'm a child of God. My first year of recovery was so bittersweet. There was pain, joy, peace, victory, failure, anger, frustration. I would have days of absolutely giving up only to surrender and come back the next week. I can stand here tonight and tell you that it truly does work if you work it. When I walked into these rooms seven years ago, I could have never imagined that this was my testimony. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly that we ask than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. His promises are true. Christ has done far more than I could have ever asked or imagined. To the newcomer, welcome. Truly, I am so glad that you are here. The seat that you occupy tonight was made just for you. Don't ever believe the lie you don't belong. Whether you're on week one, day one, or hour one, get connected to an open chair group and please keep coming back. Don't quit before your miracle happens. I was a newcomer once too and I know how scary that can be. Come say hi, I would love to meet you. To my forever family, thank you for continuing to show up week after week for your recovery so I can show up for mine. Because if you aren't here, then I have no place to go. So please keep coming back. Thank you to my sponsor for never giving up on me and leading me to a place of forgiveness and amends for myself and for others. To a special group of ladies in my life right now, thank you for loving me so well and being there to pick up the pieces when I feel like I'm falling apart. 
to the ladies I sponsor, thank you for doing this journey with me. Your dedication to God and your recovery inspires me daily. To my open chair groups, thank, thank you for giving me a safe place to heal from my hurts, habits, and hangups. My name is Melissa. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I celebrate my recovery. Thank you for letting me share. Melissa, thank you for sharing your story with us tonight. And I just want to say this. It looks like you are just as good of an artist as I am. So that was a great picture. But the problem is I'm 45 and draw like that. She may have been a little bit younger. So, uh, hey, tonight, as you see Melissa around, she's usually at the information booth. She goes to groups. She does things like that. I just challenge you, if her story touched your heart tonight, that you uh, encourage her and uh, let her know how much it meant to you. So our focus question tonight when you do go to Open Share Group is this. It's how can God use this testimony to help you in your recovery and what keeps you from sharing your testimony? Because um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are scared to get up on this stage and share their story. And uh, it's really cool. It's a huge blessing, huh? Isn't it awesome when you share? Yeah, yeah. So... Let's uh, stand up if you're not standing up, and let's close with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Amen. First time guest right across the hallway. Second time guest right up front. Everybody else, including the first and second timers, I'll see you guys at dessert, man. We got some great dessert.